from KGW News, this is Straight Talk with Laurel Porter. Hello and welcome to Straight Talk. I'm Laurel Porter. This week we're part of a critical statewide project. We're focusing on the public health crisis of death by suicide in Oregon. It's called Breaking the Silence, Shining a Light on Oregon's Suicide Crisis. In the coming week, you'll hear from media outlets throughout the state as we collaborate to put a spotlight on the problem that claimed 825 people last year in Oregon alone. We'll examine the crisis, how prevention can and does work, and give you resources to help if you or someone you know is in crisis. I'm pleased to welcome my guests, Dwight Holton, the Executive Director of Lines for Life in Portland, and Emily Moser runs the Oregon Youth Line, a crisis line run by teenagers for teenagers. Lines for Life is a regional nonprofit dedicated to preventing substance abuse and suicide. They offer help and hope to individuals and communities and promote mental health for all. They run the local call center for the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, and the number will remain at the bottom of the screen during this program. Welcome to Straight Talk to shine a light on this very important topic. Great Good to, to have you here. Thanks. We've heard this project described as unprecedented, Dwight. What's special about it? How did it come to be? Well, this is the first time anywhere in the world that a community of journalists have come together in an effort to report responsibly on suicide and on stories of hope and healing. You know, we hear very little about suicide for lots of complicated reasons, and as a result, we've made the subject taboo in a way that discourages people from reaching out for help. So this is really something that's unprecedented. It's being watched by people all over the nation as a model for how we can move forward and make safer, healthier communities. Emily, what do you hope we accomplish through this week of reporting? I think the biggest thing we want to do is break down those barriers of communication in a way that uh, reduces stigma around talking about the subject and um, hopefully more people will reach out and get help when they need it. Let's take a look at, at why we're talking about this, why it's so important. These are some statistics focusing on suicide in Oregon. 825 Oregonians died by suicide in 2017. Oregon's suicide rate has been higher than the national average for three decades, and the national suicide rate is at a 50-year high. The suicide rate in Oregon is nearly 36% higher than the national average in 2017. Oregon's suicide rate is 14th highest in the country. Suicide is the second leading cause of death for those ages 10 to 34. One-fifth of those who kill themselves are veterans, and more than half the deaths are caused by firearms. Emily, who is, is, who's going to be affected by suicide? Is there any way to tell, any way to predict? Well, there are a lot of signs uh, that you can definitely see if you're looking for them. That's the key to this discussion is to help people understand that when people need help, that some of their behavior changes in such a way that means that we want to reach out and ask them very directly, are you thinking about suicide? Some of those signs include things like uh, giving away your very special uh, possessions, uh, a change in behavior, just a general change from uh, being somebody that's lively and upbeat to becoming somber and serious, or the opposite. Those are the kinds of things that you want to look for. And we'll go through some of those warning signs again a, a little bit later. Dwight, what would lead someone to want to take their own life? Is there anything we can point to? 
You know, I think what I've learned as a, just a lawyer trying to help move good public policy in this world is that suicide is always really complex. It never comes down to just one thing. It's a complex uh, array of things that drive someone to feel a hopelessness and to feel that they just don't feel or perceive the love and hope around them. Uh, so the answer to that is hope in penetrating with hope and connection, and that's what we try and do at Lines for Life. And why is it such a particular problem in Oregon? Is there any theory about that? So there are lots of ideas about it. The suicide rate in the United States is higher in the West generally, and uh, Oregon is a part of that, and we're worse than some states, better than some other states in the West. But uh, there are a couple of factors that I hear regularly from my gurus in this field, and that's that we have a lot of spread out communities, rural communities that don't have as much connectedness, where people can be more easily isolated, I guess is the way to think about it. Um, we also have a penchant for rugged individualism, which frankly I think is one of the best traits of our character out here in the West, but it also leads us to resist seeking help from others. Um, and then finally, we have a real prevalence of firearms out here that's not true everywhere. And regardless of your politics on firearms, the reality is that firearms and depression are a very, very dangerous mixture. Uh, so with our high prevalence of firearms out here, we're at higher risk. Well, some of these statistics we talked about, this crisis have remained hidden because of what the Oregonian editorial calls our collective ignorance. They're going to kick off this week of reporting with an editorial on Sunday, so you can read the whole editorial Sunday in the Oregonian, but I'll, I'll just read you part of it. And even with these statistics, it says, yet this undeniable public health issue has lacked the public attention and sustained outcry that it desperately needs. Some of that stems from the stigma that persists around mental illness and suicide, shutting off conversation or even acknowledgement that a suicide has occurred. Some may stem from the fear of encouraging copycat behavior. Regardless of the motivation, however, our families, schools, communities, and media organizations have too often chosen the easy way out simply by keeping silent. Meanwhile, the suicide rate in Oregon and the United States has continued to climb. So Emily, let's talk a little bit more about that stigma. You, you mentioned it at the top of the show. Some people feel like if you, you talk about it, you bring up the subject, you increase the likelihood that it might happen. You might put the idea in someone's head. What's the reality? Well, the reality is that that couldn't be further from the truth. Uh, all of the research shows that when you reach out and you do talk about suicide, that really what you are doing is extending your hand of hope and doing it in such a way that is saying to someone that can be um, struggling and afraid to talk about it or feel like they're a burden to others and let them know that you care just simply by asking the question. Journalists ha have worried about that copycat behavior. They say that's one of the reasons that we haven't reported it. Also, for fear that we might cause more harm to family members or friends. What should we be doing when we're reporting about suicide? Well, it's really interesting. So we know that there is indeed a risk of, we call it contagion, with stories that are reported poorly. So stories that tend to sensationalize suicide, that tend to link it to a particular thing, you know, the breakup that happened last week, or the, um, the challenge at school, or whatever. Um, stories that sensationalize by talking about the means, uh, the way in which the person killed themselves. Uh, the research tells us that these can, in fact, be problematic and create contagion. But research also tells us that stories that are reported responsibly 
actually reduce the risk of suicide. The psychologists in the field call it the Papageno effect after the character in Mozart's play, The Magic Flute, who was forlorn and a, um, a scorned lover, but found a way forward because of the energy and hope of the people around him. And the, what, this, what this tells us, what the research tells us, is that stories about suicide that include connection to resources and include stories of hope and healing actually reduce suicide in communities. And, and experts are asking us to be careful of the language we use. Why is the language important? So language can be inflammatory, it can be sensationalistic, and it can be uh, judging. So for example, we don't use the term commit suicide. We think about people as committing crimes. Um, we talk about people dying by suicide. And it all comes back to this notion of trying to erase the stigma around getting help. So if you've got someone thinking about doing something that you've kind of cabined off as a crime because you call it committing, well, they're not going to talk about that, right? They're not going to seek help for that. Whereas if you talk about it in less judgmental language, they're more likely to treat this as the health condition that it is. And health conditions, if you break your arm, nobody's afraid or ashamed to go get it set. Likewise, if someone's feeling having a bad day, no one should feel bad about getting help. And, and experts don't want us to talk about the method either. Why is that important? Well, it goes back to the sensationalizing and the glamorizing, and then, of course, a respect for the families that have experienced a, a, a very big, tragic loss. You know, we had a suicide uh, survivor who's now a leading uh, expert in the prevention field here at KGW Studios when we did a summit on reporting on suicide last fall, and I thought she made a really interesting point. When a celebrity dies, by cancer, we don't talk about how that celebrity's um, liver was eaten from the inside until fluids spilled out, poisoning and toxin and creating toxicity throughout the body. We say that celebrity died by, uh, by from cancer. Likewise, that's the way we think we ought to treat su uh, suicide. And you mentioned resources, that they're really important to give resources. That's why we're leaving the Lines for Life hotline up during this program. The prevention works. There are many untold stories of suicide prevention, and, and I have a statistic that really underscores that fact. U.S. data indicate that for every person who dies by suicide, there are 280 people who think seriously about suicide who do not kill themselves. And, and that's where you all come in in Lines for Life. Emily, tell me a little bit about what you do. You have a hotline that's it's it's for youth by youth volunteers yeah the youth line is a teen to teen peer-to-peer -peer help support and hotline so we train teenagers to talk to and listen to other teenagers that are struggling basically about anything so we do a lot of crisis management around some of these very serious issues like suicide and self-harm but we also do a lot of prevention upstream around talking to young people when it may be the very first time that they've experienced high anxiety or high stress and helping them on the lines understand that it's okay to feel what you feel, it may be very normal, and that as the first time reaching out, that we're here to help you work through this and connect you to resources that will work best for you in your safety net. Sometimes that means what we're doing is talking to them and encourage them to talk to their parents or their counselors um, to just take that first step 
to deal with whatever it is that they're experiencing at any given point in time. And anybody can call, not just youth, right? Sure, sure. Well, we have services available to everyone. The youth line is targeted to teenagers and young people uh, because that's who's answering those calls. There's good data that tells us that people, that teens listen to teens more than they do to adults. And so if we can use teenagers to help improve a teenager's um, willingness to seek help, that's terrific. You know, I tell people I've got a 14-year-old son and if uh, during carpool I heard one of the kids talking about something that seemed stressful and anxiety and I said, hey, you should talk to your mom about that, you know, I'd get a huge eye roll uh, from everyone, from in, the everyone car. in the car, yeah. if not a, what, oh, you're here, which is kind of how carpools go. But on the other hand, if my son were to say to one of his friends, you know, that's the kind of thing I talk to my mom about, that lands in a totally different way. That's mm -hmm. the effectiveness of the youth line. And you got, on Friday, a big donation from the NATO Campbell family. That creates a lot of hope. What is that going to mean for your program? Uh, it's really remarkable. Really remarkable. And Nato Campbell and the Bill Nato family uh, donated $1 million to Lions for Life. We'll be using that as an innovation fund that will help support innovation around prevention. You, programs like the Youth Line, we have kind of built with duct tape and uh, and sweat and bubblegum, bubble gum, exactly. Mm -hmm. And uh, this uh, this investment from the Nato Campbell family in social change will enable us to support programs like that uh, and support the kind of innovation that comes with that that just nobody funds. Well, suicide prevention also works with pop culture as well. We saw how it shines a light on suicide prevention sometimes with rapper Logic. I performed his song at the Grammys. The song is called 1-800-273-8255, which is the number for the National Suicide Prevention mm -hmm. Lifeline. And when he performed that at the Grammys, calls to the line tripled. And this is video you're watching from Logic performing the song at the MTV VMA Awards in 2017. The number to the suicide hotline was projected on the background on the floor, the, the dancers are wearing it on their t-shirts. What do you think that performance did to help with prevention, Dwight? Uh, it gives me goosebumps. It's really remarkable what happens when pop culture embraces the work we are doing. We see immediate impact. We see immediate increases in the calls we're receiving. It's often people who had been struggling but not known or felt comfortable reaching out for resources. Mm -hmm. And for someone like Logic to weigh in and say, hey, we all have really rough times. It's okay to go through rough times and here's a place you can call. As you said, we had a tripling in the volume. And, and here's the amazing thing. That volume goes up, triples, and it never comes back down to the level it was before. It always stays high. It doesn't necessarily stay at that triple level. It settles a little bit, but it, it builds a new norm for us that's really encouraging. Our volume has doubled in the last two years. So for years, we were talking to 12, 14,000 people a year. We're now talking to 25,000 people a year on the NSPL line alone, not including the youth line and our other services. And uh, that in part reflects just greater access and greater knowledge about our services. I'm gonna talk more about young people and how this problem is affecting our youth. And we have a couple of sobering statistics. Approximately 17% of eighth graders and 18% of 11th graders reported seriously considering suicide in the past 12 months. This was in 2017. Nearly 8.7% of eighth graders and 6.8% of 11th graders self-reported having attempted suicide one or more times in the previous 12 months in 2017. That teens, that young people would be thinking about suicide, actually attempting suicide, is so disturbing to me. Why are our young people vulnerable, Emily? 
You know, there's a variety of reasons that make anyone vulnerable to suicide, but when you're thinking about teenagers in general, it's just a stressful life that they leave, lead now, and um, there's a lot for them to think about just across the board on a regular basis. It's kind of a new normal, I think is the best way to put it, um, with all of the variables that young people are dealing with right now. Dwight, do you think young people today are more stressed than in generations past? You know, um, Emily helped me understand this when I started A Lens for Life. The stress that you or I might feel about making a mortgage payment or making payroll with Lens for Life um, is uh, physiologically exactly the same stress that a teenager feels from a bad grade or a relationship challenge or a fight with their parents. The difference is I've got 53, 54 years of developing coping mechanisms and, uh, and figuring out how to ask for help in a way that the teens don't. So I don't know if the stresses are different or not, but I do know that um, we need to do a better job of equipping teens, equipping young people with those coping mechanisms. That's exactly what the Oregon Youth Line does. And you said your calls have gone up astronomically. Why mm -hmm. do you think that is, Emily? I think most of the reason is because we have done a better job of reaching out and letting people know that we're there for them. Uh, we work really hard on the lines, especially to meet young people where they are. So it's a no judgment zone and um, helping parents and uh, stakeholders, those people that work with youth on a regular basis, also understand that we're a good resource. So I think there's really and truly more people that know about us, and that's why we're getting more calls. And you think that kids are less, they have less hang-ups about asking for help and talking well, about so that, mental health. So when we're, we, we, let me give you some numbers. The youth, Oregon Youth Line has grown incredibly. In the last five years, we've grown from reaching about 900 kids a year to reaching over 15,000 kids a year. Um, and we've grown from a volunteer base of nine teens to uh, over 100 teens now. We just launched a satellite in Central Oregon. and. Uh, we're reaching more and more people. And what the teens tell us or tell me is that when I say to them, Why are, what's going on? Why are we growing like this? And is it going to continue? They think it is going to continue because they think their generation lacks some of the hang up, some of the reticence that our generation has about talking about their mental health. So whereas in my generation, you would never talk about it, or at least rarely in my parents' generation, you would certainly never talk about it. Um, kids these days, are treating mental wellness the same way they treat physical wellness. And if that's right, if they're right about that, then we're really on a watershed of making a real improvements. And some of our schools are taking this on head on. In 2007, suicide was the leading cause of death for students at Lincoln High School in Portland. So Lincoln took action to change things. And we talked to the school's principal who started at the school that year, Peyton Chapman, and she says it's really been a cultural shift. Let's listen to what she said. So now the whole staff, the coaches, the parents, um, but particularly our students uh, are trained to come talk to an adult. If you have any friend who makes a joke about it, if they say something to you, if they seem depressed, if they seem disconnected, um, either bring that friend to a trained adult uh, or um, even the students can ask those questions. So just our whole community now doesn't worry about offending anyone or causing harm. We just know we have to say to them, are you thinking of self-harm? Are you thinking of suicide? Do you have a plan? And Emily's really worked there, hasn't it? Absolutely. Yeah, it is a community that brings it all together. And uh, at Lincoln High School, that's what they've created, a, a community that includes students, administrators, coaches, parents, 
and all together training them in such a way that there is the, the, the fear associated with asking, are you thinking about suicide, um, has been reduced. Yeah, Principal Chapman has really set the gold standard and there are other places we're working really hard. We work with schools in uh, the Willamette Education Service District mm -hmm. down in Yamhill, Lynn, and, and uh, other counties there um, who are working very hard to make real path-breaking efforts at reaching kids, at tearing down the stigma around getting help. It's, it's really encouraging. And we're hearing there may be budget cuts that would cut back the school psychologist at Lincoln to three days a week. Um, and that's a problem across the state. But you said that the governor's budget would, would help with that if it gets passed. There is no room for budget cuts uh, from mental health resources for schools. I, I can't say that more clearly. The governor has, in fact, increased, uh, included a significant increase in mental health counseling services for schools in her budget. Uh, I urge uh, folks watching today, if you care about this, to reach out to your legislator. Tell them you want the governor's budget for mental health counseling in schools. It's incredibly important. I want to talk a little bit about Salem. Sprague High School experienced three of its students dying by suicide in just eight months. The principal there is also on a mission to help his students and prevent further suicides. One of those students who died is Ben McMahon. He was 14 years old, a standout football player, a straight-A student. His parents both work in public safety. Mom was in law enforcement, dad a fire chief. Carol and Kyle McMahon talked to us about their son's death and say they saw none of the obvious signs. Let's listen to what they have to say. We're obviously in the public safety roles. We're in the community, it's good people. And it shocked, there was no signs. It wasn't, you know, just out of the blue. You know, even hours before he died. You know, he wasn't talking about, you know, suicide or depression. He was talking about where he was going to school, what he wanted to do for his birthday in December. Our, our thoughts go out to the McMahon family. They said they are talking about this publicly because people need to talk about that, talk about it publicly. Um, let's talk about the warning signs. They said there are no obvious signs. We'll put up a graphic that shows some of the warning signs that you were talking about earlier, Emily, talking about wanting to die or kill themselves, a change in behavior. What do you think about what the McMahon said, that they didn't see any obvious signs? You know, it is really complicated, but I would say to start with that when you think about um, young people in general, that sometimes adolescent behavior, teenage behavior can be um, mistaken uh, or you can think through that maybe my, my child is just acting like a teenager today, you know, or oh, they're just being emotional or whatever that means and, and end up sort of dismissing some of the things that you might notice otherwise that really are uh, signs that they're reaching out for help. It's also important, I think, that some folks are determined to hide their, um, yes. their struggle. And that's, um, oh, Emily and I lost a friend to suicide not long ago, and um, she was a consummate professional, and it was not a part of her understanding of what professional means to reach out for help, even though she was literally surrounded by people who do this for a living, who do this kind of help for a living. So uh, that's part of why this Breaking the Silence Week is so important. We've got to tear down the stigma. We've got to make it okay for people to say, hey, I'm struggling and I need help. And I think that you bring up a really good point, particularly when we're talking about parents, because it, as a parent, it's just incredibly scary to think that your child could be that that one that's at risk. So being able to reach out to that to your own child and ask if you're thinking about suicide or if you're okay with your mental health. That's a hard thing to do. A really to hard thing to do. Really hard. Especially if you do. don't think anything is really wrong. Yep. Yeah. It's hard and it's important, and I think it also comes to the question of whether we expect our children to present no vulnerability to us, right? right. 
um, are, uh, I'm sure I was like that when I was a kid. I'm sure the notion of showing any vulnerability to my parents was completely outside of my, what I understood as their expectation. Well, Dwight and Emily, we have to stop it there, but we're going to continue this conversation throughout the coming week. I want to tell you a little bit about what we're doing. We'll be covering stories about suicide prevention, and through them, we aim to offer hope and help. Our story with the McMahons and what Sprague High School is doing to prevent suicide will run at 6 p.m. on Monday. And you can find all the stories on the subject from 30 newsrooms across the state on one website. It's Breaking with Silence. OR.com, breaking with silence, OR.com. Remember, if you or someone you know needs help, the number's on your screen. It's available 24 7. Thank you for watching.